All right, welcome everyone. Episode 33 of the Wide Lens Podcast, and I am joined here with my fresh co-host, John Sim, and we're going to cover the latest and hottest topics in financial markets this week. We're recording on Friday, the 17th of February, 2023. John Sim, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Good to be here. All right. I'm looking forward to this. We don't have headphones um, after trying to <laughs> wipe the, the cobwebs and dust off the, off the dock and mics. Um, we've mis- misplaced the headphones, but we should have them um, next week. So let's get straight into it. Um, I want to quickly wrap up with, um, I might start with uh, this chart here, which is the um, S&P 500, the, uh, the ASX and the European stock market, um, S&P 500 in orange, the Aussie market in purple and the European market in green. What, what's been really surprising for me is Q... Q4 of 2022, how like markets just turned around and bottomed out in, I think it was the first or fifth or sixth of October or something like that and running pretty hard um, since then. But having a look at markets, if you sort of, if we just look at how markets have been going this calendar year. So I've just done this chart from 1 January, 2023. What's been really surprising to me is the European stock market up almost 7% just for the month of January. European market's always been, for many years, as far as I can remember, just a laggard relative to that of like the US and Australia, for example. Um, the SM, the Aussie market's up about 4.5% for the month of January and the US stock market up about 6 But it's not. it wasn't until a couple of weeks ago, the US market was pretty flat for the month of January until we clicked February and then you saw the US market really start to rally and catch up to... Um, the rest of uh, the rest of the world. So that's kind of what's been happening through the month of, of January. We're going to talk uh, a lot more about some of this stuff in, in a bit more detail shortly. Um, the other interesting chart I want to bring up from Deutsche Bank is this total return performance of major global financial assets in January 2023 versus that of financial year 2022, well, the calendar year in US for 2022. And have a look at basically every single, except the commodities index on the right-hand side, I think it's, it might be flat, but everything was down in 2023 and looking pretty damn strong in Jan- sorry, in 2023, and looking really damn strong in January of 2023. Whether it's going to continue or not, we'll talk a little bit more about that um, later on. A few observations that I might just, I might just read these if that's okay. These are some stats that I've that I've um, that Bespoke published um, the other day, and I thought it was quite relevant. I'll just start reading these, um, and listeners just listen in. A good start for the S and P with a gain of eight and a half percent in the first twenty five trading days of twenty twenty three. The S and P five hundred had its sixth best start to a year since nineteen fifty three. So post World War Two, sixth best start. When the current five-day trading week began, over this 70-year period, there have been 16 other years where the S&P 500 rallied 5% or more in the first 25 trading days of a year. 16 other years. And the median rest of the year performance was a gain of 17%. So the rest of the year, the S&P 500 gained another 17.6% with gains 15 out of 16 times. Wow, that's What's stats. that as a percentage? 
15 out of 16. You're smart. I mean, <laughs> a quick like the calc. Quick 15 out of 16. And 94% of the time, um, it was positive. Um, the only exception was in 1987 when the S&P 500 started the year with a gain of 16.1 and traded down 12% for the rest of the year. Even better for the NASDAQ, since its first full year of trading in 1972, the NASDAQ's 15.7 gain in this year's first 25 trading days ranks as the third best behind 1975 when it was up 18% and 1987 when it was up 16%. In the 20 prior years that the NASDAQ rallied 5% plus in the first 25 trading days of the year, the index's median rest of the year move was a gain of almost 12% with gains 85% of the time, 17 out of 20. For all other years, the NASDAQ's median rest of the year move was a gain of 6.5%, with positive returns 66% of the time. And finally, what about Europe? Europe's uh, benchmark stock 600 rallied 8.5% in the first 25 days of 2023, which was its third best start since 1987. In the seven prior years when the index was up 5 plus percent over the first 25 trading days its median performance for the remainder of the year was a gain of 10 percent 71 percent of the time in all other years the median rest of the year performance is a gain of 7.7 percent with positive returns almost 60 percent of the time so if everyone's sort of wondering what uh whether or not this rally is gonna gonna stick it's 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 hard to tell but it seems to me like those rallies that we've seen through uh, we had one in June, July, where these mini bear market rallies, they didn't stick for long. But this one's been running for a good four months now, and and we'll talk about this a little bit more. But even with CPI and employment data coming out of the US in, this week, markets look like they're shrugging that off and and really starting to. Um, I feel like there's this just this tug of war between investors whether or not the data is a good thing the mm. data is a bad thing yeah. whether rate hikes are a good thing or rate hikes are, are a bad thing but if we look back in history good solid starts like we've seen in the month of january i mean no one's got a crystal ball but you know looking at the, these things probabilistically um there's the nut the, the the odds are pretty high for a solid year ahead um but don't trade that. Do you think, though, that there's um, a number of different macro circumstances uh, from the past, you know, call it 20 years, um, that are evolving in the market with, you know, obviously the um, change in the rate environment that's going to impact on, on that probability as well? Um, so, so like some of these things go back to so the the S and P five hundred one went back to like post World War Two, and if yeah, you think okay. about post World War Two, like ha- since then, how many times have we seen really high interest rates climbing from lower levels? I, you know, I've told me I, I I can't I I don't know, but I would guess that there would be number of periods whereby we've gone from low rates to high rates mm. and high rates to to low rates. But interestingly, the correlations I don't think from memory are that strong around depending on where rates are yeah i mean you look at the the 80s i mean markets seemed to do okay during them when you had really high interest rates mm. um i mean the other thing is is that do you remember back in 2021 in during the tech when tech was just going gangbusters yeah. everyone was saying it's tech's different this time because of blah whatever mm. the reason was it's different to the tech wreck it's different to what this is going to sustain and we're going to keep going like then 
literally got punched in the face with 2022 markets down and in the nasdaq at, at peak to trough was down like 35 percent. i can't remember exactly what it was so i don't know like it's i feel like in the moment it's it's easy to say that yeah but inevitably i don't know i find inevitably markets revert back to what kind of they've yeah. always been doing whether the trigger to get it back to what it was doing was something different uh, yeah I, I i don't i don't know um well, but the probability it, but, remains pretty high then. But like, if that's all we've got, right? If it's if it's post World War Two, you've got seventy years or seventy five years of mark interest rates high, interest rates low, inflation high, inflation low, tech going gangbusters, tech not going gangbusters, growth stocks, value stocks. I don't know. I feel like that's a pretty good yardstick of like what investors could expect. I don't know. I just feel like it's a game of odds, man. Like, uh, no one knows what what the future is going to hold, mm. and so if if you're playing with odds. It's not like the casino where every hand or every, not hand, every roll of the roulette, you know, uh, what's that called? The roulette? The wheel. Wheel. Yeah. It's got like a certain percentage, right? Yeah. Like it's not like it's a, a 50-50. It's going to be, sorry, every time it spins on a red or a black, well, unless, well, got unless you've got double zero now. Double zero, yeah. But before they bought double zero in, you had zero. Yeah. Zero was never red or black. But in the absence of that, it's 50-50. Um, but I, yeah, I don't. I don't think the stock market kind of works works that way. Um, anyway, look, that's kind of a, a quick catch up of what's been going on um, throughout. I mean, there's a lot that's been happening, but if we just look at wh- how that's reflected in the stock market, that's what the markets have been doing. I feel like it's caught a lot of like market commentators off guard, and I feel like that's why most people are saying that this is just a bear market rally, bear market rally. Um, but I don't know. Th- these are the facts. These are not numbers that I've, I've made up, and, and this is what it is. As Howard Mark says, uh, you can't just be right. You've got to be contrarian, right? And I think a lot of people have gone uh, contrarian. And, Do you and think everyone's gone contrarian? Well, a lot of people are capturing this. Uh, this, this all right, I've got a couple of right. charts for you, which right. uh, might shoot that down. Um, <laughs> all right, I'm going to take the first topic um, today. So the last couple of days in particular, um, we're starting to now hear more of a – from – hard landing, soft landing to now effectively a no landing. And so I was really curious about what a no landing meant, but let me, let me kind of just set the scene um, up at the, up for, for us now. I'll just bring this chart up now. Um, this is inflation currently sitting at 6.4% annualized, unchanged from, um, from about a month ago. But if you look at this chart, like we saw at the back end of year, through October, month-on-month inflation in the US peaking. And you saw it coming down again, and we saw inflation coming down from at seven or eight. I can't remember exactly what the inflation rate was. But now, look at that month-month change. It was 7.8, but yeah, month-on-month change. It's big. So we had this downtrend, and now we've got this little kick that has almost, I feel like, caught most people off guard because there was talks of um, um, the the post-COVID logistics, transport, uh, all of that being unlocked or unwound or undone. Um, But a lot of shelter and housing is starting to push up um, inflation at the moment. The other uh, other important data point we had, and I'll bring this chart up now as well, was employment in the US. This number just like... Ripped up. Totally baffled me, right? Mm. Like you, you've got 
all of these headlines being made at the moment about how all these companies are laying off and the employment situation is not good, and then you get these non-farm payrolls in the US, like almost not like nothing we've seen. I mean, barring what was that July in twenty twenty two, and prior to that, you know, the beginning of beginning of that year. But since then, we haven't we haven't seen a number anywhere like it, and all of a sudden. People have still got um, people have still got cash um, in in banks. When you when you look at uh, deposits with banks, people are people are getting jobs, and so it's it's no wonder that the inflation number still is becoming really is stubbornly high and persistently high. Um, yeah, sure, uh, a, a slow downward trend, but it's it's nowhere. It's nowhere near what I think what people would would like it um, to be. Yeah, and I feel like there's still quite a disconnect between business confidence and and what and and this sort of information that you're seeing in terms of strong strong unemployment data. What do you mean? Like pe- people are saying that things are bad? Yeah, they're saying that things are bad. Um, you know, we've got some um, good data to 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 back that up in terms of business confidence, and you know, as we we had in our Ecom Capital report. Business confidence was at all time lows, but people were still heavily invested in equities. So, but do you think that's because I think? Do you think it's because the like what the media is portraying? I mean, you know, I, I just read uh, last night Fidelity's hiring four thousand new employees, mm. most in the US. Like, mate, you don't hear that in mainstream news, right? No, that's right. All you hear is, and I'll bring this next chart up. Um, this is from Yahoo Finance. Tech companies laying off workers after pandemic hiring sprees. So you're hearing of all the recent layoffs announced. Microsoft 10,000, Google 12,000, Salesforce 7,000, Amazon 18,000, Meta 11, Spotify 590. And But have a look at the pre-pandemic headcount growth. I mean, just look at Amazon, man. That is mind-blowing. Yeah. Three quarters of a million almost in headcount. And we're crying over an $18,000 cut in headcount? Like, get the fuck out of here, man. What are we, what are we talking about, right? So, I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe what the media is telling us is a way that we're supposed to feel. Yeah. And that's what we're supposed to say. Yes, I'm not, my, my confidence in the future is not, not good. Hey, but I'm still holding my equities. And so, yeah, you've got to disconnect between what people are actually doing and what people are actually saying. And there's a lot of data that supports the, the fact that there is a huge disconnect. Um, talking about uh, advertisements, interestingly, that's US. I'll bring this chart up now. This is Aussie. Job advertisements are coming down in the US. Australia still seems to maintain the job ad- adverts levels at the moment. I, my, if, I, if I was going to bet, I'd say that's probably going to come down. Yeah, we usually lag the US yeah. a little bit. So we've seen we've got we've got that. I'll bring this next one up as well. Australian retail sales. This is the big one we saw. But having said that, I feel like since the pandemic, look look in this chart how stable Aussie retail sales have been since two thousand and five. Like pretty non volatile, relatively speaking. Yep. And then you hit the pandemic, and shit's all over the place. Like you can't. Yeah, I, don't, I feel it's like crazy you can't. Volatility. You can't make heads or tails yeah. out of that. Um, but you know clearly. That's having or interest rates are having a big impact on people spending. Um, yeah, sure, their confidence, but people are still, um, you know, holding equities. Obviously, um, I haven't got. I know you're, you're going to talk about some property, but I haven't got any data in front of me to show 
um, with property sales, but uh, stock is low. So the, I, I do think there is this disconnect between what people are feeling and, and what's actually going on. A um, couple more charts here. Australian unemployment rate. It's been going up since October, and the US has been going the other way. Mm. And so I feel like there's, you know, everyone's talking about Australia, the lucky country, we're going to escape a recession again this year or when, whenever it might might be. I don't know. The, the, the sort of leading indicators don't indicate that all if you're comparing that to the, the US. Um, and then finally, property, um, property prices, annual change. You know, you and I have looked at this um, numerous times. I mean, these are some big declines in one-year changes. Um, Sydney down th- almost 14%. Melbourne, the other big one, down almost double digits now. Look, the rest are, uh, you know, didn't go up as much as uh, some of the other st- cities but have, aren't coming down as much either. But, you know, these are having massive impact on people's um, situation and, and circumstances. And so with all of that going on, you, you then get this retail sales number coming out of the US, I think, um, a couple of, couple of days ago. And it's like nothing we've seen since 2021, the 3% uh, rise on, on, on retail sales. And so you've got strong retail sales in January. The, the consumer's clearly not um, slowing down. You've got a strong labour market, strong wage growth, and savings, uh, a high savings rate across most groups. Um, quote this from Apollo, incoming data from airlines, hotels, restaurants, movie theatre visits and Broadway shows continue to be strong and consumer ser- consumer services are not slowing down. And with retail sales mainly measuring goods consumption, the bottom line is that even consumer spending on goods will continue to do well. And so with all of that as the the backdrop, this whole concept of interest rates are going to go higher and higher and higher and it's this this doom and gloom the reality is is that the market was and has been expecting this doom and gloom scenario and we're going to have a hard landing but oh maybe the central bank can corral things and massage things so we have this um soft landing Mm. but you know potentially we're now talking about a no landing scenario whereby the regime looks like actually resilient growth and higher inflation for longer, higher so interest rates for longer. systemic inflation is what you're potentially saying. We, ju- we just sit here for a prolonged mm. period of time. Yeah, it'd be interesting if the, um, you know, the RBA and other um, central banks allow that to happen. I mean, that's sort of... Allow what? Systemic inflation, right? Just um, letting it sit higher. Yeah, le- letting it sit higher. I feel like, you know, they're... they're they're not going to let that happen. It's it's harder to get rid of systemic inflation than it is to sort of take that medicine now and 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 sort of um, uh, bring that back down. So that that would be a really interesting one. Why why is it a bad thing to have inflation at you know five or six percent? What what like what's about what's so bad about that? Well, that's that's the growth rate. So that's the growth rate of inflation, and and that makes it really hard uh, from, from a household perspective to to maintain a, a good quality and high standard of living, isn't but it? But we're doing it now. People are still spending. They're travelling. Yeah, but we, we, we look at that headline rate and it's the growth rate. So if it keeps growing at 5%, it's what if it exponential. Doesn't, what if it doesn't keep level. growing at 5%? What if we just, we have... Well, the target's 2 to 3%, isn't it? So. Oh, yeah, I, 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 I see what you're saying. So yeah. we're, we're not saying prices are going to 
we're going to have disinflation where no. prices are falling or we don't have, have a moderated price growth to a level that's sustainable. Yeah. So what was the number? Half a percent. I mean, if you annualize that, that's, that's about 6%. I think what's going to be interesting is the, the month on month change from now on. I yeah. think looking at annualized number numbers, like you're drunk. Don't, mm. don't, don't look at the annualized numbers. It's really meaningless. I think what we need to start looking at is just this month by month and seeing how the consumer and how the economy is digesting what's going on. Yeah. Um, do you want to add anything else to, to, to that whole, the whole soft landing concept? No, I think, yeah, uh, look, it, it's, there's so many drivers and, and variables um, that need to be looked at, right, by these central banks in order to um, work out whether they keep pulling and pushing the levers. Uh, you know, it, you know, it's a really hard thing to predict what mm. what they're going to do, right? Um, and you know, even Philip Lowy got got it wrong when he said, "Oh, look, we're going to leave rates lower for longer," and and look how fast <laughs> he sort of adjusted his view. Yeah. Um, so you know, remember when uh, Australia wasn't in raising interest rates for twenty twenty four? Exactly, <laughs> it's like zero to one hundred. Yeah, like, what's going on, man? Um, so you know, even even the best minds. Um, uh, are just just moving with the variables as mm. as they see more of the data coming in. So it'll be really interesting to to see that play out. Mm. Um, let's move on. What do you want to talk about? Um, look, probably let's look into my favorite topic: the the residential property market and everyone's uh, favorite topic. Everyone's favorite. Everyone's topic. a guru in property, right? <laughs> That's right. Everyone's a property developer. Yeah. Someone does a renovation. They're, they're an expert. Hundred percent. And look, a lot of um, Australian household equity and wealth is locked up yeah. in in their homes and so understandably it's a major concern um and you know there's a number of factors you know you touched on inflation that's um playing a big part in in property prices at the moment and and what what the central banks are doing around increasing rates and how that affects property values so you know it's a really interesting state of play that we've got where yeah as you're saying you know in december we had um you know the sharpest annual rise in cpi growth at 7.8 percent um, and and that's remained systemically, you know, pretty high. So central banks are really trying to control that um, amount. And you know, we're seeing signs of that inflation moderating. Um, I think as well in in energy prices, yeah, hundred percent supply chain issues being sorted out. Um, and you know, as as rates continue to rise, we're going to have tighter financial situations at at home, which are constraining spending, right? Um, you know, interest rates um, going up means higher mortgage payments, which means people have got to cut back. So I think that's going to start playing through in uh, from on the home front, where and we're already seeing many many articles about you know families struggling with cost of living, having to cut down you know um, swimming lessons and uh, just focus on basic needs effectively to, to get by. And, and in Australia, in Australia, yeah, I saw that article the other day. Um, but I mean, uh, you can just look at the retail sales. Like that just that's a that just is down off the charts in the wrong way. Yeah, yeah. Um, and because people will preserve the house, hundred. That is that is the last line of defense. And so it's the castle, isn't it? Hundred percent. Yeah, hundred percent. So that's that's a really um, you know interesting dynamic going on. Um, you know, reserve banks continue to um, as as we said try and bring down inflation to, you know, the, the long-term average of 2 to 3% to ensure there's no systemic inflation. And, you know, I'm feeling like, 
you know, especially looking at your employment numbers, you know, there's, there's still a, f- a really tight labor market and really 100%. strong wage growth. And it's going to really take time for, you know, inflation to really moderate and decrease substantially based on just people's confidence. And so do you, jobs. Do, do you think then that whole no landing scenario is one that is, that is possible whereby we have this period of, it, it's we're not going to. I mean, everyone thinks about things in a binary outcome. Why are they going to boom or we're going to crash? Yeah, crash and burn. And so they're just the two outcomes that we have. You know, could it be all possible that actually we do muddle our way through and we have this Goldilocks perfect scenario whereby we do manage to get through it um, because we're spending so much time. You know, this is they saying it's the most anticipated recession yeah. in history. And so if everyone's so aware of it and we're so prepared for it. Don't you find that it's just one of those things that just never happens because you're so... <laughs> potentially, potentially. Um, yeah, I'm of the view that it's going to be delayed. So, you know, we're going to have... Yeah, but recession's inevitable. Like, it's We're inevitable. always going to have a yeah, recession. Yeah, we're always going to have it. It's just when. And but that's the thing. No one... No one, no we, one we, we can all agree there will be a recession. Yeah. But who the fuck knows when? Yeah, that's right. So is it going to be this year or next year or 2025? Um, who so, knows? Yeah, who knows? Uh, but you're right. It's, it's sort of this limbo period in the cycle where... You know, potentially we, we, we hit a longer period of this Goldilocks period before we come back down. Sure, but it could be that ma- that ma- financial markets could boom, as we have seen. I mean, you look at the Spanish flu of the early 1900s. Yeah. And, you know, you, you look at what happened after lockdowns there. You know, mm. you had um, travel booming, entertainment booming. You know, it's like the history is kind of, you know, repeating or rhyming, whatever you want to whatever you want to um, call it. But, you know, that market boomed for a long time, up in, for a further 10 years. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Yeah, and you that had, could happen. You, you, had, you had high inflation and came down. Um, you know, maybe it could be possible that we could have a huge run-up and then, sure, we'll have another recession, yeah. market will come down. But let's not forget markets, financial markets fell 20 to 30% last year. Like, that's not an insignificant decline. It's It lasted for about a year and it feels like, I don't know, I feel like everyone's forgotten about that already. 100%. Don't yeah. you think? Yeah, 100%. Like may- maybe People we- have short memories. Maybe we've had our recession. Maybe it's not like a technical recession. Maybe we had our, I don't know, cleansing done for, for 2022. <laughs> Let's hope so. Let's hope so. But then, John, what happens to the people that are sitting on the sidelines waiting for, you know, whatever tea leaves they're reading? Well, that's right. I, that, that's another big issue. There's, there's, I feel a lot of capital sitting on the sidelines waiting for something a, a, a bigger discount. To what, be what, had. what are we waiting for, man? Well, you know, another crash, another crash, and that brings me to my next point. So, is, you know, is there any relief in sight for interest rates? Uh, you know, RBA uh, recently in, in, increased their cash rate by another twenty-five bips at three point three five. Most of the major banks have passed that through, and you know, the central banks acknowledge that there's you know these cumulative interest rate increases. There's a lag effect to, 100%. to when they're going to be felt. And, you know, I can bring up a, an article in the AFR today. Um, you know, Lowy warns on $350 billion fixed rate cliff. I mean, that's, that's a massive amount. If you look at CBA's full-year report for 2022, you know, they, they've, they reported 75% of the mortgage book exposed to uh, rate increases through June 2023. Um, you know, they've got... $51 billion of fixed rate loans rolling off in six months to December 2023, $44 billion in the preceding six months and $29 billion in the first half of 2024. So, you know, most of the major banks, uh, 
you know, they've got a lot of their customers that are definitely going to roll from a fixed rate of call it 2% yeah. to a 3 to 4% point increase in their borrowing. Uh, in oh, the, I thought you were going to say in to a 3 to 4% interest rate. No, 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 it's like, no increase. It's like 6%. Yeah, 6%. <laughs> so two to three times what they're paying. Mm. You know, if they were already stretching their serviceability requirements last year when they're borrowing, you know, 80, 90% no LMI or 90, 95% with LMI, and suddenly you're moving uh, and you're already stretched at that point, you know, we're going to see potentially, uh, you know, a fair bit fair bit more trouble coming through. Um, I haven't looked at bad debt provisioning, but it'd be interesting to see how much the banks are uh, increasing that to take into account the fact that they, they may see... Well, ANZ's raising a bit of capital through the un- subordinated yeah, notes, the hybrid, hybrid securities. Yeah. So, you know, what what's... What's all that about? Capital management? Capital management. I mean, banks still need to, to grow their books, right? Um, you know, their investors demanding that they're going to keep growing and keep growing revenue, which means that, you know, they're, they're just going to have to keep um, building up that loan book mm. or building up margin. Mm. So, <clears throat> yeah, it's a really interesting situation. And, you know, if property prices are intrinsically tied to basically inflation and what the RBA is going to do, um, you know, to get their target inflation rate back down. Um, you know, I'm seeing 2023 to be kind of a year of transition where, you know, economic conditions may be stabilised due to some macro factors, but then, you know, we'll see another couple of rate hikes uh, and then potentially the RBA holding when inflation mm. starts dropping. Um, but ultimately that flows down to property valuations, right, and property prices, um, you know, limiting borrowing capacity. Um, 100%. Yeah, and we're already seeing it, you know, um, borrowing capacity for borrowers is down sort of call it 30% uh, compared to last year. Yeah, I was going to say, someone could that could borrow $1.3 million now can only borrow a million bucks. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <clears throat> and I'm, I'm hearing many stories around the market from brokers and, you know, they're, they're, they're sort of pulling their hair out. Um, they've got plenty of clients coming in to, you know, come in and refinance their loans. They're mm. rolling off fix uh, and suddenly um, banks are going, uh, you know, these brokers are going, shit. How, how are we going to get you an, another loan at the same at the same amount? You know, you're going to have to reduce your leverage mm. or you're going to have to sell or banks are going to say you're going to have to rapidly amortise your debt right back down um, to ensure that, you know, you're not in any financial difficulties. So. I, I agree that those, those uh, factors are so obvious to everybody. Mm. And I don't know, maybe call me naive, but I feel like the fact they're so obvious, it, the, the risks in my humble opinion, are the things that no one sees, yeah, no right? One sees, yeah. I, I read an article, I think last night or the day before, Bloomberg published an article. I think it was uh, B of A talking about, you know, what are the tail risks? And like someone's talking about inflation. Like, I'm like, come on, man. How is that like a tail risk? So I'm thinking about tail risk mm. being, I don't know, the pandemic was a tail risk, yeah. right? Um, the GFC was a tail risk. The fact that we've got a fixed rate cliff coming up in December, we all know what's yeah. up. Like the RBA knows that. I'm sure I'm sure industry consults with Treasury. I'm sure the other way around. They know the data. They know what's going on. Oh, yeah. I, I, look, you know, I, we, like I caught up with Westpac's um, um, management a couple of months ago. And, and even in that meeting, they were already having meetings with APRA to, to talk about covenant breaches and wording APRA in terms of, hey, 
we're going to see we're going to see some massive valuation drops. Um, you know, uh, how are we going to deal with this, right? And yeah, it's really really interesting. So yeah, look, everyone knows it's coming. Um, it's, and so I feel like for that reason, I'm like, someone will deal with it. <laughs> I don't I don't I don't feel like it's this tail this risk. But your comment about you know breaching covenants, like banks aren't going and revaluing properties. No, right? Like imagine if they did that. It would be oh, we suicide. Yeah, it, they'd be kill, killing the uh, you know golden goose. Yeah, hundred um, percent. Because it lays a golden egg. So uh, yeah, so you know everyone's incentivized to ensure that there's stability in the, in the market to a certain extent. So um, you know I think a lot of these issues will be dealt with, but sh- there, sure, there's probably going to be a, a proportion of those that are higher risk that the bank just goes, hey, look, we we don't want to take that risk on. You know, you're going to have to refinance. What look? Like what happens? Do you back. remember back five five or six years ago? We've talked about this before, where we had. Um, where APRA were mandating that banks can only have a certain proportion of their loan book um, with interest-only loans. Mm. Do you remember? That? And then there was the interest-only cliff. Yeah. And then that was coming up for expiry, and all these int- all these loans had to go to PNI. Like, what the fuck happened with that? Nothing. Well, they, they, there was there was big changes in in, in the banking world. Um, what and happened? They moved, I can't they remember. moved all their clients to PNI, so they, but what they happened? just started writing less interest-only loans. So the pro- naturally the proportion shifted, right? And and they increase the serviceability requirements too. So, you know, they they put that up, you know, if it was, call it 4% servicing of, of an uh, interest P&I loan, they bump that up by another 2% to 6%, for example. What type of transitionary, like, mechanism do you think could be possible in this situation where you've got 40% of loans maturing, 40% of fixed loans maturing in, I don't know, the end of the year? Mm. Like, what, what can the banks, if, if interest rates are where they are, and you've got a, I don't know, a home, what's a home loan now? Like four and a half percent, maybe five? Five and a half. Yeah. Five and a half? Yeah. Five and a half. You know, you go six. from two or three at best, and it's almost double. Yeah. Like so, what, what happens? I mean, I, I'm no longer sitting at a bank. Uh, if, I, if I was in there, I could tell you. But um, yeah, I mean, what I'm hearing in the market is that people may be faced with a situation where they might have to sell. Um, and you know, or, or find another way to scrimp and save to, to be able to continue to service <coughs> um, or not refinance. Because a lot of people, you know, in, in the last couple of years that I know have been refinancing to try and get the best rate, right? So you might just go, well, leave the let, higher let's rate. leave it at the higher rate, keep paying our interest payments and, and continue on. Tighten the belt, tighten no the more belt. swimming lessons. That's right, no more swimming lessons. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's really interesting. But, you know, for context, you know, if we're looking at, you know, some data from, say, CoreLogic, national home values fell 5.3% in 2022. Um, you know, Sydney property prices led that loss among capital cities, falling about 12.1% on average, Melbourne at 8.9%. Um, and, you know, despite those falls, you know, if you look at average capital city prices, they remain 11.7% higher than pre-pandemic levels and regional values are still up 32.2%. That's interesting. Yeah. And for context, over the last 10 years, you know, national dwelling prices are still up 60.3%. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. you know, so long as you hadn't bought last year, um, you, you, you're still sitting pretty. Yeah. Unless you've gone and refinanced and, and leveraged up your, 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 um, your property, right? Mm. So do you think it's more of a management of expectations and people kind of having to have their little, or well, not little, big ego killed that their property is no longer worth, you know, 
two million dollars. You thought it was. Well, it was a year and a, a year ago, but it's it's actually worth one point eight. Yeah, that's right. That's and right. you just got to swallow that pill. Swallow that pill. That's right. Yeah. So uh, look, I think in terms of prices, probably a little bit more pain to come to the end of the year until we start to see a stabilizing in in, in rates and inflation. Um, and then hopefully, yeah, strong trajectory into 2024 because, you know, a lot of, um, you know, new home builds and new new um, apartment builds, you know, aren't coming online due to a, yeah. a huge number of factors, you know, construction costs going up. Uh, pre-sales. Pre-sales, all 100%. the rest of it, um, you know. And, uh, yeah, we're going to start seeing some undersupply, you know, and but immigration's see, that, coming back. That so. naturally causes the problem. That's right. That's it's, right. It's just these so many forces um, it's almost like a you know undercurrent. You got current moving yeah. this way, you got a current moving the other way. This is not what's going on. That's and right. I think that's what paralyzes investors is just the inability to make a decision and run with it, regardless of what the outcome is going to be. I mean, I think we just like crave certainty and crave control. You, you just can't get that with the market. And if that's you know, the game you want to play, then they're the rules you got to abide by. Do you want to chat about anything else, or should we move on? No, let's let's move on. Um, Bloomberg had this article, B of A survey shows investors expect stock rally to fizzle out. So that's what we are talking about before. Yep. Um, so what uh, Bank of America, Merrill Lynch, do is they go and survey their investors and they have this report. So what we've been seeing is stocks on an absolute tear since Q4 of 2022. US has been lagging its peers up until the last couple of weeks. Um and I wrote down, I said, good news was bad, then bad news was good, and all of a sudden good news is good again. Huh. And it's just this market trying to work out what all of this actually uh, means. According to the report, uh, most investors aren't convinced the gains will last, according to Bank of America Corp's latest global fund manager survey. Listen to these stats. About 66% of participants in the bank's February survey said stocks are seeing a bear market rally, signaling they expect them to return to new lows. If they interviewed you, that might go to 67%. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> it's even as the shares of investors expecting a global recession fell to 24% down from a peak of 77 November. So almost like two-thirds of respondents were expecting a recession. Now you've got a quarter. Wow. Um, pessimism around economic growth is at its lowest in a year, while 83% of fund managers see inflation easing over the next 12 months. I want to share a couple of charts and let's talk about your contrarian point of view. Uh, the first one is um, net percentage overweight equities minus net position, net percent overweight bonds. And so effectively investors um, on the bottom right-hand corner there are, are, are overweight uh, bonds at the moment. And what was really interesting to me was, and you can see that little kick up now um, where equities are now starting to turn. Yep. But what's interesting to me is you look at March 09 and May of 2020 when we've seen, you know, big disparity between asset allocation mm. and what has subsequently happened in those two, and this will be the third, extreme moves in asset allocation for the last 22 years is market went on absolute tear post-GFC of March 2009 and May of 2020 we saw a, obviously with the most recent one with COVID and the pandemic and the stock market rally following that. Um, that's the first one, and I'm curious to get your take on it. Second one is investor risk appetite. What level of risk do you think you're currently taking in your investment? And and basically, we are at absolute 
absolute in the doldrums. People are taking on less risk than they were back during the GFC. Yeah. One of the biggest global financial crisis in the last 100 years where we had major institutions around the world literally collapsing and investors are more taking on less risk now than they did back then. And so with all of this in mind, and you talk about contrarian, I feel like contrarian's going the other way. We are the other way to what the resp- how the respondents are responding to this survey. Um, again, I'm only looking well, back that's, at history. That's where the most money is to be made, right? You know, you're trying to taking that risk, taking that risk, and picking the bottom effectively. Um, seeing what you're seeing here, right? Like, especially the the first chart we looked at, which was overweight um, equities bonds. Like, is that insightful to you at all? Does that tell you anything or do you feel like that's not relevant? 100%. Um, you know, it's a, it's a great fear and greed. Um, it's, it's extremes, right? Yeah, it's all yeah, it is. extremes. Um, and, you know, the question is, you know, I, you know I, are you in the market enough to understand, hey, is there significant value to be had here, right? Um, you know, but doesn't it go back to your time horizon as well? Like if you're trading <clears throat> weekly or monthly, yeah, you, you, these choppy waters, you know, maybe that's good for you. But if you're uh, uh, early 40s, mid 40s, late 40s, 50s, whatever, and you've got a horizon of the next 10, 15 years, don't you think that's a very different... Oh, 100%. I, I think it's worth at least dipping a portion of your, sure, yeah. your portfolio and, and, and sort of... Um, building up that that base, right, and saying, doesn't hey, that go this back could that? be the this could sure. be the bottom, right? But and isn't that more about asset allocation <clears throat> rather than trying to time markets? Like- oh, that's right. You know, and, and we we've seen that in the rise of ETFs, where you know it's time in the market that is producing long term uh, returns. Uh, I feel like people go out there and with pieces of wood and hammer and nail and start trying to build a house with no plans. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Like, what the fuck are you doing? 100%. 100%. And, and again, it's fear and greed, right? You know, people see, hey, there's, there could be an opportunity for some outsized growth. Um, let's, just, let's just go in and, 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 you know, basically gamble and, and, and not have a proper plan in place. Mm. Um, and you, you saw that with crypto. You see it with um, there's a lot of um, private investment vehicles <coughs> that are promising crazy returns and, and, and people aren't, necessarily having a plan or doing the mm. due diligence to build up a, a, a I guess, complete portfolio. Mm. I saw sponsored ads coming up on my social media. I think it was out of Abu Dhabi, uh, 20% per annum mm. guaranteed. I'm like, what? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, there, there is, um, yeah, there's all, of, there's all of that, obviously. Speaking of that, there was a big scandal in uh, the papers the other day about some Deloitte partners getting caught up in a, in a big $60 million, uh, yeah, private private placement for building rural infrastructure in, in India. All right. Um, well, well, so, so, yeah, it was, again, promising outlandish returns, you know, sort of 39% guaranteed returns in six months <laughs> for buying sort of, you know, Indian rural bonds. Um, and it was a... And what happened? It was a Deloitte partner and he's disappeared. So he's... Oh, he... Yeah, he, he, he was living up in Sydney. He was renting there, no assets in, you know, in Australia and he's... He's disappeared. Boom. Boom, gone. And the I think the one of the main touted investors was uh, you know the new head of Deloitte, who, who he was banding off the name. So all the other partners got involved. So 
you know. Some, oh, I did see that. Did see yeah, that? yeah, yeah, yeah. I just, I just yeah. realised. Yeah, so when he was using the CEO's name to lure, yeah, to lure in all investors. the other investors. Yeah. So you know, sometimes if it sounds too good to be true, um, it often is. Yeah. Um. Let's let's move on. What do you got? Um. So yeah. Look, I think uh, you know, a big one following onto this is you know, wh- where's the growth? Where's the growth coming from? You know, over the next decade, right? And if you're looking at um, you know, what what sectors are com- coming online that are number one, going to help humankind as a whole, and number two, you know, and going to increase our efficiency um, and, uh, you know, increase our effectiveness and, and deliver deliver growth. And, you know, there's some really interesting ones. And I think the biggest one on my mind, I know you love using it, is ChatGPT and, and uh, you know, artificial intelligence and, and generative artificial intelligence. Um, you know, there's been some really rapid developments recently where now it's becoming... Uh, such a powerful tool and you can see that there's a use case in it and i've I've never been so excited about something since you know google search engine right (laughs) and being able to do all that and you know so there's there's been a lot of focus on this from you know the east and the west and and now china's really getting involved in it and there's almost a race for supremacy uh in in that in that realm of technology um yeah and there's an interesting article in in bloomberg uh this week talking about China's chatbot advantage may come from a dark place. So they're, they're really going hard at, um, at building out a similar capability to ChatGPT. You know, you've got Baidu over there who are, you know, they're um, debuting a, you know, a bot based on their Ernie platform. Alibaba is now conducting internal tests for a chatbot. Um, and, you know, there, there hasn't been this level of competition, I feel, since, um, you know, the Great Firewall and, you know, search engines um, basically being evicted from China. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's sort of a race in this new frontier and, you know, um, this explosion in innovation around the industry is, I think, going to generate a lot of growth and a lot of disruption for, for businesses. Um, it, yeah, it's, it's quite interesting. You know, you, you think about the 1900s and, you know, innovation sort of came in the form of, you know, telephones, uh, automobiles, mm. electricity, and I think we're now converging on, you know, another great wave of, of, of innovation that's going to really transform industry. Um, you know, you're looking at robotics, AI, blockchain technology, energy storage becoming, you know, super efficient, right? And there's exp- exponential growth in that, which means that, you know, before long we're going to have autonomous taxis, which is going to be a combination of, you know, uh, better EV battery storage, robotics plus AI, right? Developing out something that's, you know, going to really transform that industry. Um, so it's really, really exciting. Um, and, uh, you know, in my view, you know, there's, there's a lot of use cases for it as well, right? What's the opportunity though? Like how do, how do you, because presumably it's not something that you can go and like invest in, right? Well, yeah, I think there will be, um, you know, a wealth of new sort of industries sort of springing up from it, um, new businesses that are set up based on... Sure, like that's the platform. Plat- and, and because of that, it's the, the well, either a consequence of the benefits are going to be a whole bunch of things, whole bunch which of new we don't know what they are. That's right, yeah. that's right. And it's going to be really exciting in terms of investment opportunity and, um, you know, the next wave of, you know, your, 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 your big fang companies that spawn out of this. What does that mean for... Um, Obviously, with Jet, with GPT and OpenAI, Microsoft's involvement with those guys, mm. Google's bit of a 
earlier with Bard. Yeah, a bit yeah. of a flop with yep. Bard or Baird, however Baird, you pronounce yeah. it. Like, and then I think the stock fell like eight percent on 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 oh, that 100, day. Hundred billion dollars or something. Yeah, like, like <clears throat> what do you? What implications do you think that has, if any, to the likes of Microsoft, Google? Um, I mean, they're seeing that they need to get on the front foot with this as well, don't you? you know, as as you know, evidenced by their investment in the sector, right? They're they're pouring significant funds into developing this out because they're seeing that, you know, this this has, yeah, major implications. I mean, you can automate all your customer service, all your support staff and tasks. Uh, you, I mean, you were telling me the other day about um, how it can um, record all your meetings, yeah, that's, give that, you all that's the minutes. Microsoft, Microsoft yeah. Teams. So there's a paid version of Microsoft Teams, I think, I don't know, seven or eight bucks a month. And uh, because of the integration with ChatGPT, they integrate uh, the ability to now transcribe meetings, uh, audio to text. I mean, that's not like groundbreaking Otter, Otter but, already but does what that, you were right? saying was um, you can actually it, it will set task and action items. It'll then create it, tasks and action items I post think meeting. That's unbelievable. That's that's uh, that's if it can automate that. Think about the efficiency of um, you know how meetings can be run. Right. Yeah, look, hundred percent. But I don't think Google's going to sit there and go, "All right, well, Microsoft have done it, so let's 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 move on to something else and let Microsoft have." that slice mm. of the pie. Mm. Like, I, I just don't think that that's going to happen. I think Mike, I think Google are going to do whatever they need to do to integrate whatever AI system that they need to integrate into Google um, in, in order to maintain market share. Yeah, I think, look, a big one is, I guess, linking in then the network effect, right? So, you know, there, there's an op, you know, there's a cost to, to shifting from platforms. So once you're used to it, for example, using Zoom or using Microsoft Office or Word, I mean, there's you're going to be pretty loyal to that that platform and there's a network effect that builds up as more people use it. Suddenly everyone's using it because everyone else is using it, right? And and I think that's a big one. So being able to corner out that market share and, 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 and having that network effect and early movers and, and being being an early mover and, and cornering out that sector of the market, suddenly it's, you know, not so worth it for other companies to come in and, and try and compete. Um, so I just quickly looked up the stats, Gmail versus Outlook. Take a guess as to how many users, I'll put into perspective for you, Outlook has 400 million users using their platform. Mm. How many do you think Google has? Oh, billion. 1.5 billion. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Like, do you think a billion users are going to move to Microsoft just like that because of their of the AI? I I don't know the answer to that question, but yeah, it's a it's an interesting one, and there's going to be a lot of competing factors. All right, you know, you know, this so many there's so many use cases for it that and know, I'm just so excited about it because you know you can you can really do a lot with it. So tell me, like the different AI programs if i can call them that like does microsoft's version different to google's version to different to baidu baidu's version to yeah i mean there's going to be you know an ai for everything well that's that's the that's a problem so you know with with this bloomberg article saying well while it's impressive that you know chat gpt can do all these things you know it's only as good as the data that's put into it so the key here is is bad data you know uh, you know it's basically scraping the whole internet for data to to give you uh the the best uh in in what it thinks is the best outcome for for whatever inputs that you've you've requested from it 
And, you know, what, what they're saying is actually you've got potentially people in, you know, the East in China that are spreading misinformation or disinformation into the web to... So uploading that onto yeah, the internet. Yeah, uploading that onto right. the internet to purposely um, confuse, you know, these AIs. And, and <laughs> Let's just fuck to, with it for a little bit. <laughs> yeah, to, to, to build, you know, the wrong outcomes. Um, and, you know, that's, that's going to be really interesting because obviously, you know, China, you know, they've, there's a few internet players there and, and Beijing's got a really big history of information control and managing the narrative but can't the can't the u.s exclude <coughs> any data that's coming out of china for example yeah, i mean they could like, and and they, they they obviously have their own um audit and data screeners that are um scraping the data to making sure that that's accurate but you know as as things go on you know there's i, I don't know how scalable that is to be able to um you know have a manual check to check the veracity of information in the western world right i feel like it's so fast like <coughs> You know, regulators were trying to regulate digital currencies. Mm. Like, and then that thing's just, it feels like that's just disappeared. Like, no one cares about yeah. digital currency anymore and the regulation of, of digital currency. People, people are still, you know, entertaining themselves with um, cryptocurrency. I feel like that narrative's just in the, in the recycling bin for the moment. And yeah. now it's this. And now everyone's talking about how do you regulate this? Yeah. How do you how do you how, how do you monetize gover- it? Governance. You know who who actually you know they're scraping all this data from the internet to give you a solution. If they're charging you for that solution, is there is there some sort of IP from the rest sure. of the internet that should get a cut of the revenue yeah. generated out of that? So it's a really interesting discussion, and um, I, I don't know the answer to that. Mm. Um, and, and they're going to have to sort a lot of that sort of stuff out, how, how, how they're, you know, effectively paying companies for that type of information. Yeah. Um, I saw um, you see that quote from Elon Musk the other day. He came out and talked about how <laughs> bad AI is for humanity. Did you see that? No, I haven't seen so that. So he, he founded um, OpenAI, mm. but I don't believe he's with the company anymore. But it was just really interesting to hear his comments on, what his opinion is of of AI. I would have thought he would have been more supportive of it given his sort of background and what he does. And But, yeah, it was quite the contrast, actually. That was quite um, surprising for me. Um, let's move on. Do you want to chat anything about um, anything else on about that? Oh, it's just more. It'll, it'll be interesting to see how fast this sort of technology is adopted. And, you know, I think in China, you know, from from my sort of experience – Things get green-lighted there a lot quicker and, you know, technology gets integrated and adopted a lot quicker. So mm. I think we'll see, yeah, some really exciting things happen in, in mm. that space um, and, and some great adoption. Mm. And that's the bottom line, I, I think, for me. I think, like what you said, is perfect because it doesn't matter what's going on in the world, in, inevitably there's always going to be something that sort of sprouts out from nowhere and everyone's like, wow, what, we didn't even think that was possible. Mm. And then it sort of generates, I don't know, whether it's confidence or belief or something else in the world that um, people just have a sense of belief and can look forward to something that's, that's bigger than what, what it is today. So I don't know. I just, that's why I'm, I don't know, I feel like I'm seldom doom and gloom because yeah. you look back thousands of years, the evolution and progress of humanity is, I just don't think you can stop that. Yeah. Um, had a couple of things on uh, director's cuts, but just in the interest, interest of time, probably skip that. Um, let's wrap up with tips and recommendations. 
I don't know what your notes are on about, <laughs> but um, why don't you go first? I've been uh, I've been looking at um, <laughs> a website called Masterclass. I don't know if you've heard of this. No. So Masterclass gets the best and people in in each industry. So you know, if you've got Natalie Portman teaching. Oh yes, uh, I've this has acting. come up on my yeah. ads. Yeah, you yeah. Got Stephen Curry teaching you, you know, mindset, psychology, and and basketball strategy, right? Um, and I've just found that an amazing Have you resource. subscribed? Yeah, amazing resource to see, um, you know, what, how the best in class in every industry thinks. Um, and, and they give you their masterclass. So they give you a real, it's really structured in terms of, you know, there's a whole workbook in terms of, you know, the topics and yeah, how, right. how they go through things. So it's quite structured. It's not it, like you just go there, watch no, a video. No, no, no. It's a really, yeah, structured and, and, and short. So the, there's short clips um, for each section. And, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm doing one with Thomas Keller at the moment, which is uh, he's the owner of the French Laundry in California um, and he's a James they? Beard Award winner. So, yeah. you know, it's kind of like the Michelin star yeah. in the U.S., um, and yeah, every, every day I'm just looking at a new recipe that, uh, he sort of cooks up. So lobster mac and cheese was last night. I was like, what, what the fuck yeah. is the lobster mac and cheese? <laughs> and, oh man, it's, it's great. How it's do they get the, all these, you know, um, stars, Naomi Campbell teaches modeling fundamentals. Um, oh, it's fantastic. Michael Pollan on intentional eating. Yeah. I, I look, I, I, I assume they give them some sort of royalty or cut from, However many downloads. Many, or yeah, so. that's right. Whoever right. uses it. Uh, and it's a really the production value as well. They, 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 they've done a really great oh, job. Oh, man. The videos look impeccable. Yeah, it's amazing. So I, I can't recommend it enough. Um, people should check that out. All right. Well, um, I might, I'll, I'll have to check that out, actually. You're going to have to give me a login. Um, unless they do a bit of a um, Netflix I, and yeah. sort of manage uh, <laughs> password sharing. Um how about so, you? What have you been looking at? All right, recently? so Deb and I finished two seasons of White Lotus. Have you seen it? Yeah. Oh, you have? Yeah. Oh, sick. It's crazy. So for listeners, if you haven't seen White Lotus, some binge HBO um, have produced it. And it. so you know what it's about. Yeah. But for those that don't, it's like seven, is it seven episodes or eight episodes about a that. season. And both of the seasons basically start with a bunch of – rich white people going on a boat and going to this luxurious resort called the White Lotus. Season one's in Hawaii. Season two is in Sicily. Um, and it always starts with someone dying. Off the bat, someone dies. We don't, you don't know who it is. You don't know the context or the background, uh, but someone dies. And then it sort of goes back uh, seven days ago. And it's – how would you describe it? It's like it's a, it's a bit of a comedy it's, it's a dark comedy. It's a I'd dark say. comedy. Yeah. There's some funny. I, I f- yeah. It goes into sort of um, stereotypes of, 100%. of people and and behavioral stereotypes and how how that evolves. Funny, <laughs> <laughs> Deb and I have been in situations where like, oh my god, are we are we becoming like white lotus people? I'm like, don't be rude to that guy. Like, be nice to him. <laughs> um, so it's yeah, I couldn't recommend enough. We we were they're about an hour an episode. So, you know, download Binge, you get two weeks of free streaming. You can watch both seasons for free in the two weeks. You got to watch at least one every night. Um, What would you give it out of 10? Probably eight out of 10. I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. I felt like there was no point to the. I'm like, what's the point of this? Um, I felt like there was, yeah, not much of a purpose. It wasn't sort of 
mean, it left you on a bit of a cliffhanger to work out who died and why and yeah, all of that. Yeah. Season two was like, whoa, whoa. how did that happen? <laughs> but uh, if you haven't it's seen... It's more of a, going into human behavior and, 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 and sort of, you know, if you put yourself in, in the shoes of the people in there, would you have done the same thing, you know? Mm. And would you have reacted the same way? Uh, and I think that's, for me, the human aspect mm. of it and going, wow, geez, um, you know, people can react in funny ways mm. when situation dictates, yeah. right? Yeah, hundred Yeah, well, you just, you, yeah, it's, you just don't know. I mean, it's like a lab experiment almost. You've, you've put all these people yeah. in this place where they've, they hold up, they can't yeah. leave. But it is really interesting where you can see so many like behavioral traits to people when when you're in that situation you're in a heated argument or something didn't go your way you act in a particular way and you you rationalize it with a narrative so quickly in your mind that you you make it seem okay for you to do whatever you've done in that situation 100%. because he did this so i can do this yeah um you know if you remember the very last um one of the last the last episode in season one don't ruin it for everyone no i won't ruin this where the the, the kid well if you if you're going to watch it just put on mute or something um, now put this on mute if you're going to watch The White Lotus but you know with the kid of that family with the sister who brings the friend they're yeah. just doing drugs yeah. and he wants to stay in Hawaii like he just yeah. seems to me like this kid that's had like no love from his parents um, his sister gives him shit all the time and he's basically a loner in the family and he has no passion except for gaming and screens on his phone and then in the end he wants to stay with these Hawaiian dudes and row every morning and I'm like let the kids stay. Yeah, what are you doing? And the, the, the parents are like, you are not staying in Hawaii. You are coming home with us. But it's so interesting as a third party how you can observe and look at things at, from a far less emotional yeah. perspective. And I think, yeah, I think that's really important, like whether it's investing or whether in life and life decisions that, I don't know, somehow you can maintain that. It's yeah. bloody hard, man. The wide lens. <laughs> yes. No pun intended, right? Um, like, if you can maintain that, it's bloody hard, though. Like, that's why we are what we are, and that's what we do that's what right. we do. 100%. Um, all right, let's, let's wrap up. Uh, jump on YouTube. Um, subscribe so you get this straight notification uh, once we have these pushed out every single week. Any comments, questions, hit us up, info at baharianwealth.com.au, and we'll catch you next week. My name is Robert Baharian. And I'm the founder and CEO of Baharian Wealth Management, AFSL 526-798. The information contained in this podcast by me and or our guests may include general advice and does not consider your personal circumstances. You should seek personal advice from a registered financial advisor who can consider whether the general advice is right for you.